I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. This series of podcasts is aimed at financial planning professionals and also those who are looking to enter the financial planning profession. We will be talking during the podcast about all things certified financial planner certification related, talking to other CFPs around the world, and also we will be dropping in on some new entrants who've just entered the financial planning profession, and we'll be checking up along the way on a regular basis with them to see how they're getting on. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Jackie Lockie, your financial planning maestro. And in today's podcast, we are back to talking all things certified financial planner. And I have with me a very special guest uh, who has recently passed his certified financial planner certification. And that is David Henry from Parker Lloyd Financial Services. Hello, David. Hi, Jackie. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, This is all slightly eerie for me, Jackie, because when I was going through the case study, I would listen to your dulcet tones on the podcast (laughs) on the way into the city on a Sunday to go and do my uh, eight, nine hour stint or whatever it is I was signing up for. So it's slightly eerie to be be on it now. Well, uh, I know from uh, from other people who've been listening to the podcast that they really enjoyed them. So hopefully um, we can provide them with as much entertainment on our episode today. Fingers crossed, Jackie. I'll throw in a few dad jokes to try and, to try and grace the wheels a wee bit. So yeah, I'm sure it'll, be, sure it'll be an enjoyable conversation. Excellent. Okay, right. So I have a large list of things to talk to you about. Um, uh, but before we get into the detail of what, how and why you did the, the Certified Financial Planner Assessment, how you found it and passing on tips to lots of everybody else who's listening. Tell, let's go right back to the start and tell us how you got into, because I know it's not you and you're just coming into the financial planning profession, aren't you? But what's your background leading up to where you are today? So I originally had a legal background. I, I did a, a law degree at the university uh Newcastle and Newcastle University and then went to the College of Law to do my my LPC which is your solicitor qualification and it became apparent during during that postgrad year that I wasn't going to make a great solicitor (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't think it was for me and I had done work experience with um with Vestra Wealth, as they were known at the time, now, now LGT. And I got a call from David Scott, who founded Vestra Wealth originally, who offered me a job and gave me a chance in, in financial services, um, which I will forever be grateful for because um, I had no experience. Uh, I turned up on day one. I didn't know what a stock was. I didn't know what a bond was. Um, some would argue very little has changed. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I had the fortune of of working with with a really good team there, building up experience in the investment world, and progressing to to manage uh, discretionary portfolios for private clients uh, at Vestra and laterally at Quilter Cheviot. Um, so I've been a, a discretionary investment manager uh, up until about six. Well, up until about a couple of days ago, actually, when this comes out. <laughs> And so tell us a bit about why, how you found the CFP and why you decided to go through the process. So it was originally, I don't want to use the word hobby because hobby implies that it's a pleasurable experience, but uh, 
the I I was you know I providing investment management services to families, and investment management is obviously incredibly incredibly important and a key tenet of a client's financial circumstances and plan. But I find myself just having more and more conversations with people which were wider reaching. Um, and I would sort of categorize it as, as having bigger questions, answering bigger questions for clients. And I recognized that this was, this was happening and I was probably on the cusp of straying into planning type discussions. And I just wanted to build up my skill set um, to be able to have those conversations and make them better and more worthwhile for the people and the families that I was having them with. So I looked at the various options, saw that there was a, uh, a CISI route to becoming a qualified financial planner um, and decided to undertake that. So did the level six uh, exam, Craig A, back in March there. Um, and then a colleague of mine, uh, was going through a similar process and he bullied me into doing a level seven, um, which, which I undertook uh, this summer, obviously. Um, but it was it was originally just to try and expand my skill set, Jackie, um, and try and improve and, and just be able to have those conversations from a better position with families. I, I had no intention of becoming an actual financial planner, um, at that point in time, immediately, anyway. But just as a just as I went through the qualification, I find myself enjoying it more and more and more. And okay. uh, I've got to the point where I wanted to do it for a living. Excellent! Well, well done for making that change. Um, I always think that you know when you start to broaden out those conversations, that's where the real kind of golden nuggets lie, isn't it? Um, and having the you know really the investment side of it is what is helping the clients achieve what they want out of life. But if you don't broaden out those conversations, you you could be missing out on helping them as much as you possibly could. Do you agree? Uh, absolutely. I So I, you know, obviously stock markets have, have gone through a rough couple of years and, and investment managers to a certain extent have felt all pretty beaten up in the process. But I remember a day, I think it was back in springtime, where I, I went back to Northern Ireland to see three clients, um, a couple of which have been very long-standing clients. And the conversations that I had with those people were all around, you know, purpose. A couple of them had sold a business and moving into retirement. One of them had, had been through some tricky life circumstances recently. And you know, I just, none of those conversations really were about investments at all. Mm. And I got home after, I got home, I was, you know, about half, five, six or whatever. And I just remember thinking that's the most energizing day I've had in my career in a very, very, very long time. Yes. And I wanted to have more of those conversations rather than than less. Um, and that just sort of tipped it for me. That was a, that was a bit of a, a road to Damascus moment, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. So, and so you embarked on, you passed your level six exam without any trouble whatsoever, as I would expect with all the qualifications and experience that you've got. Um, were there any tricky bits of the level six exam? I wouldn't say I'm a man with many natural strengths, Jackie, but I've always <laughs> seemed to be able to get past exams okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I put in a decent amount of work. I, I did a lot of 
the practice papers. I did the practice papers back to front. Um, I went. I, I did nothing more scientific than just going through the textbook. I'm sure for the financial planners listening, a lot of the the content within the textbook is is probably second nature. But I found it really useful just to polish some areas that I would naturally, as a discretionary investment manager, not have as much experience of. Yeah. One of those is is protection, which, as I discussed to you when we were going through the the case study, I felt was a, a wee bit of an area of weakness for me that I needed to w- work on because we didn't, I don't speak, I hadn't spoken to clients about that really. Yeah. So just going through the textbook, doing the the the, the practice qu- uh, questions and and um, for, I find I was ready for pretty much everything that they chucked at me on the day. Um, okay. Obviously there was a couple of sticky bits, but managed to get through relatively unscathed, which was, which was cheering obviously. Yes. Well, a pass is a pass. That is the most important thing. So let's get on to the nitty gritty. And I want to ask you some questions about how you found the level seven case study, how you approached it um, and where all your kind of pain points were. Other than I can remember getting some emails from you going, I'm not sure about this protection malarkey. Um, But along the way, let's start at the beginning. So, you know, this really was your, am I right in saying your first kind of real yeah. experience of financial planning? Yeah. So I don't know if you remember this, but the first conversation I ever had with you, I was sort of saying, I don't know whether my ignorance is going to end up to be an attribute or, or going to hold me back <laughs> because I'd, I'd never done a, a financial plan before. Um, and I remember listening to one of the podcasts when I was just setting out on it that you did with with a chap and forgive me, I can't remember his name, but he mentioned one of the things that you have to come to is is with no preconceptions. And I think yeah. that actually, it turned out to be a wee bit of a helping hand for me that I hadn't written one before. So I had no preconceptions of what a plan should in inverted commas look like. I could just base it on what the CISI wanted to see. So um, that was, I think, actually... A, a, a helping hand, really. Yes. Yeah, because I guess you're not fighting what you already know, trying to squeeze it or mould it into, you know, what the assessors are looking for for, for that for that assessment, are you? Um, no. So in, how did you approach the, you know, obviously plugging those knowledge gaps along the way, but also how did you, you approach the whole process when you got your case study? Plugging the knowledge gaps, Jackie, I just gave you a ring. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. It's an ongoing iterative process, isn't it? Um, you know, the the whole process, it is it is a very difficult qualification. That is the first thing to say. I find it very, very difficult. And I think everyone that you've spoken to, that I've listened to, has has similarly found it very difficult, but yeah. it isn't it isn't meant to be easy. It's a level seven qualification, obviously. Yeah. I, I think and one of the best pieces of advice that you gave me was you've just got to make a decision. And there are various, when you're going through the process, there are various points where you find yourself stuck or debating in your mind what the right, and in inverted commas, piece of advice is to give to your hypothetical clients. And one thing looking back, I think that I did relatively well with your prompting was just to say, look, win, lose or draw, I've made this decision and now I'm going to move forwards because what you can't get to is get caught in the detail. You've got to keep moving forwards because it is tight for time. I think I found there was two pinch points where I was having to work really hard to get stuff done. And that was around assumptions. Yep. So week number two, roughly speaking, um, and getting the spreadsheets 
finished off, which I think probably is a common theme. Yes. Because you keep going through and you keep tinkering. Like financial planners, investment managers, we're textbook people. We like numbers and we like detail and we like intricacy and we want to get the absolute textbook right optimum answer. But my impression, and I'm not an assessor, you would know much better than me, Jackie, haven't haven't been through the process so many times, but my impression was that the CISI were less interested in the right answer as, as much as it not being unsuitable and you being able to justify it. And that that to me was, you. Know, it means that you have to just, when you've made a decision, you have to keep going forwards as long as you can justify it. So that would yeah. be my piece of advice. And I think that's a really good point because I think in financial planning terms, and I've seen, so when I was an assessor, though I'm not one now, but when I was, I've assessed more than a thousand of these financial plan case studies. And even those people, I think we said during the course, didn't we, that if we were all given the same case study, we would all approach it slightly differently. We might all have slightly different uh, recommendations. Maybe some of them will be the same. Maybe some will be slightly different. But that doesn't mean that one person's right and everybody else is wrong. And I think that's one of the the biggest things is a, that mind shift that needs to take place, that it's not about what's the right answer. Like you say, it's like what's the optimal answer based on the decisions that you're making? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that, I mentioned I mentioned my colleague who, who was the person to get me, Sam, to get me to, to sign up in the first place. We actually ended up getting the right or sorry, excuse me, we ended up getting the same case study. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that was mischief on the part of CISI because they saw we were from the same company. But um, we ended up giving pretty different advice, actually. Um, but it comes back to justification rather than than having the right answer, I think, yeah. was the impression that I got. And I remember one point in particular, I was, I was deciding on what, you know, what I was going to recommend for the drawdown. And I'd made my bed and then three weeks later had a bit of a crisis of confidence. Is this actually the right thing to do? And I remember pinging a message off to you and I think you, uh, in very polite terms, told me just to get on with it. <laughs> you've, you've made your decision, keep going. And you do have to because momentum is, is very important in this process. You've got to keep up the momentum. Yes, and you've only got 10 weeks all told and that goes by in a flash, doesn't it? You, it 10 does. weeks seems like a long time, but actually it's not a long time at all. I think the cadence that you suggested, there were a couple of points where it was quite hard work to keep up, but definitely the cadence that you suggested was spot on. Mm. Because if you can give yourself a wee bit of breathing space at the end, and I only had a 48 hours where I stopped writing up my plan before I went back to review it, but that 48 hours is just, just absolutely invaluable because you do, it is all consuming for, for nine and a half weeks or so up to that stage and give yourself a wee bit of breathing space is really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And so other than those, you, I mean, obviously there was that other pain point, which is your protection knowledge. Yeah. Um, how did you approach that? Was there extra learning that you kind of paused and went into or to yeah absolutely um so i mean i think uh, yeah not, as i said it's it's a wee bit of a blind it was a wee bit of a blind spot for me when i was going through the process and it was an area that i needed and yeah, I needed to develop so i leaned a lot on extra resource and availability of of information that's out there and there was a wee bit of trial and error 
when I was putting together the financial plan as well involved. Um, it actually only came up at the end, which is probably why I think I had a little bit of a pinch point in terms of timing with getting the spreadsheets finished. Yep. Because I was having to tinker quite a lot with the protection because I didn't feel very confident in it. And that's why it took me so long to get the, the spreadsheets finished. But, you know, you're not going to you're not going to know everything about everything. No. When this plan lands on your desk and in the same way that when a client walks through the door, you're not going to know every answer to every question. Um, and putting that expectation in yourself, I think, is unrealistic and unhelpful. So, you know, you're going to have to, it was, there are echoes of, you know, God above, this feels like a very long time ago when I'm talk, about to talk about, but from a legal background, you know, there's not an expectation that a lawyer knows every single piece of the law when you sit in front of them as a client. There's a lot of research that goes on and you have to go away and do your work to be able to come up with the solution. Um, and it's the same here. So, you know, that research and and going into learning and doing a wee bit more development that's all part of the process i would suggest you just got to take it one step at a time haven't you you have to keep chipping away at it absolutely and so and the good news is you passed on your very first submission didn't you yeah it was that was a fairly major shock jackie (laughs) (laughs) i was a genuinely um yeah i remember sort of I think I submitted it a day early in the end because I wanted it off my desk, which isn't maybe best practice. I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna tell me off for that after we stop. But um, no, right. I, I just wanted it off my desk, and I sort of thought, well, my intention was to try and get a, a sort of use a use a golfing analogy, sort of get it up close to the hole <laughs> rather than getting it into the hole. Yeah. So I gave myself a chance of getting it second time around. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, I thought that there was diminishing returns and going back and tinkering with it and tinkering with it. I think you've just yeah. got to get it off. And I was very, very, very pleasantly surprised to, to see that I've managed to get it done on the first first go, um, which is due in no small part, in fact, majority part to, to yourself, I would suggest. Oh, thank you very much. But you did all the hard work, David. I was just poking you with a cattle prod <laughs> for 10 weeks. <laughs> yeah, and staring me and telling me when to wise up and move forward, I think. Um, yes, but no, it was, it, listen, it, it, it is difficult, but it was obviously a, a pleasant surprise to get over the line. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You Thank thoroughly you. deserve it. And I think also, you know, there are lots of people, uh, you know, who don't pass on their first submission, who are, as we said earlier, doing already doing financial planning. So for somebody who has a wealth of knowledge in a related area to be able to bring that to bear and also to apply that logic to other areas, you know, retirement planning and, you know, the pensions, technical aspects and all of those sorts of things to make a, a, a comprehensive plan work and, and to pass the assessment on the first submission is a colossal achievement. So um, I was definitely dancing around the kitchen that day. You were probably having to lie down in a dark room followed by a whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I, was I, went, I, the I, went, I went for a pint that night, don't worry about it. I mean, what 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 do you think, Jackie? Do you, do you think someone coming from a, a similar background, but, you know, it's a different, it's a different profession. Um, do you think it's a, an advantage or a disadvantage having that sort of, I used ignorance earlier, there's probably a different word for it. Yeah, so it's a really interesting question, actually. I think it depends on your mindset, 
Um, and I know, I knew straight away when I met you that you had a very open mindset and you wanted to learn. So there are some investment managers who come to do the CFP and try to move over to financial planning, but they always think investment first and therefore, and they they believe that they know enough already to get through rather than, so they don't have quite so much of an open mindset as you did when you came to this. And so the process, it changes everyone. It changes financial advisors and financial planners and wealth and investment managers as well. So it's really more about the mindset um, than the skill set, because I think you're right. A lot of investment and wealth managers already have many of the skills um, it's just about a, a matter of, you know, applying them in that logical fashion and then going, you know, like you did, yikes, you know, Excel spreadsheet, which is like most people do actually. But, you know, how do I get through it? How do I get round it? How do I apply the knowledge that I've gained, you know, through my life experience and previous experiences up to this point, but also, you know, new knowledge that I might need to, you know, tackle along the way. Um, there are lots of investment managers who say to me, well, you know, I don't really know much about pensions, for example. And I said, well, you don't need to be the world's expert at pensions, but no. you do need to know the basics of how they work but you and apply them and apply your knowledge on pensions and in other areas um, to, you know, basically the investments are making the car, that they're the engine of the car, they're making it go to the destination that the client wants in this case study. So that's your, that's your job in its entirety. Although I think there is one technical area that I've been nattering on about on LinkedIn for the last month or so, where irrespective of whether you're an investment manager or a financial planner or advisor already, uh, estate planning seems to be the biggest area where people fall down. Really? Um, and I don't know whether that's because you know, in, our, in in the course, we leave it to the last minute, don't we? So whether everybody's running out of steam and kind of thought, oh, just giving up the will to live, you know, or whether it's a lack of technical knowledge. So I wanted to ask you actually how you find the estate planning aspect of your case study. Yeah, I think there's a bit of that, that it's at the end. I mean, I went from wishing the best for Tony and Susie Hughes to... <laughs> thinking about them with a deep and burning resentment by the end. <laughs> <laughs> so the estate planning, I think, uh, uh, again, there's so much of this where you can go down a massive rabbit hole. Yeah. And you've got about a week, I think, from memory, correct me if I'm wrong, to sort of deal with your deal with your estate planning, as it were. Um, yeah. I just I just think you've got to keep it as simple as possible. Um, the, the calculations, you know, it's important, obviously, incredibly important to get those accurate yeah but i tried to keep things as simple as possible in terms of advice moving moving through the process because my sort of rationale for that was it's complicated enough um and i know that analogy you use of a, of a four-dimensional jigsaw, jigsaw puzzle that that is correct yeah. because you push it you do want you push in one area and then it affects something elsewhere so the last thing you need in my view in this process is to go down a rabbit hole of recommending incredibly complicated pieces of advice yeah. um, if you can at all avoid it. And, and I sort of applied that to the estate planning. Yes. Um, I know the the, cop, the topic of my my couple, client couple, weren't married. Um, and I one of the recommendations I made, you know, they'd sort of said, 
that implied that they weren't against getting married, but they weren't jumping up and down with excitement about it. Let's put it like that. <laughs> and I'd sort of suggest that, but that is not in and of itself a piece of inheritance tax planning. And one thing, I didn't think it really applied to my case study, but one thing I remember you mentioning, which I find really useful and is important to think to bear in mind, is actually listen to the client. Because the estate planning is a sort of microcosm, I think, of the challenge that that we all face as financial planners, which is to take the textbook answer, which is to get their liability down to zero. But actually, if the clients aren't that bothered in the text about getting it down to zero, then you know you don't necessarily need to. You have to listen to what the client actually wants, yeah. which is a bit of a challenge when when we all have spent you know the years of our career getting whacked over the head with the textbooks. So yeah. um, it. it, it I think, like all of the sections, keep it simple, make a decision, move on, and ultimately you've got three goes at it, so you'll find out if if your decision was the right one or the wrong yeah, one, I suspect. That's really good advice. And do you think, so looking back on that process now and you know, starting out your career, or a slight tweak to your career as a financial planner now, how has going through that process, is it going to change the, your approach to clients moving forward? If you think about compared to, you know, pre-embarking and me, meeting me, I'm sorry about that, but um, uh, gaining and gaining your certified financial planner license. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I wasn't aware already, it's a fairly major punch in the face about how difficult the financial planning job is. Um, it is it is very, very difficult and there's a lot of moving parts. And even though it was absolutely tearing my hair out at various points during the whole process, I think it was a good one to go through because, um, you know, it just, it, it just shows you all of the elements that goes into making a proper financial plan for yeah. someone. Um, and although, as I said, it was pretty chastening, I think it was a good experience to go through. In terms of changing my mindset, well... I've ended up changing careers. So I suppose I should thank Tony and Susie for something um, because they've sent me off down a different path. But I I, I did, I did, it might not sound like I did, but I actually did enjoy the whole process. And ultimately it was, it was a really, really good learning experience. And and I'm thankful for that. And looking back now, do you have a rough idea of how many hours it took you to complete the whole submission for your financial plan for Tony and Susie? Yeah, when you when you asked this question to people and I was listening to the podcast, I always had my head in my hands at this point because <laughs> I thought, <laughs> oh God, what a nightmare. And you were going to ask this. My best estimate is about 160 hours. Wow. Um, about that. And now I was going in, I was probably doing six or seven hours on a Sunday um, and just trying to trying to keep up the momentum, as I say, by doing maybe an hour or two before work or after work, depending on, you know, life. Yeah. Um, but I just it's, it's important to keep chipping away at it. My best estimate, including sort of listening to podcasts, doing reading, it's probably about 160 hours, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty normal, actually. <laughs> you know, most people say to me anywhere between 150 to 200 hours, um, and I know one person I interviewed the other day on the podcast, um, Daniel, he was saying that 
he was talking to his other half about <laughs> about the case study and she was like for goodness sake will you just shut up and talk about something else um uh, and so that was really interesting and he said well all the kind of thinking out loud walking the dog thinking if you added all of that in yeah. um you know you're probably up to like 250 hours because there's a huge amount of thought process and pondering that has to go on isn't there trying to get that jigsaw puzzle oh, straightened it, it, out properly it, it takes over your life you know, yeah. as I said to you, I was dreaming about Tony and Susie at various <laughs> points during the process. Uh, if you're looking for a tip and you're listening to this and you're going through the process and you've got a holiday booked with your better half during the process, do not bring your textbook with you because you will not be very popular. Uh, I certainly wasn't when I had the, the financial planning textbook out and beside a pool in Greece. The look at the stain was pretty pretty <laughs> obvious. So um, there's a little tip for people, but it does consume you for a wee while. Yes. But ultimately it's 10 weeks. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's very much worth, worth getting. Worth it in the end. But I think that's a, you know, that's an important point to make sure that family and friends are on side with it. Um, you know, because you might not be walking the dog uh, in the morning or whatever, or doing the school run because you might be nose to the grindstone trying to uh, figure out the next steps on your financial plan case study. Um, so let's look forward now and see what advice you would give to people starting out on their journey. You've given lots of tips and advice already um, during our interview today, but are there any specific things that you would recommend people in your position now, about 18 months ago, who were listening to the podcast, what would you say to them? So the first thing I think is just get out, is just do it, um, is just book it in. Um, Cause you've got to make that commitment initially. So I think that's the first step. And once you've done that, you sort of have to do it to a certain extent. The, the three things, are, the three, I was thinking back about this and may, maybe because of how difficult the whole process was, I've, I've forgotten quite a lot about it. But the, the three sort of tips I would give are based around, first of all, momentum, keeping up momentum and consistency. And even if you're doing an hour, an hour and a half each day on it during the week, just try and keep chipping away at it. Because if you put it in a drawer for a week and a half, two weeks, and you come back to it, you almost have to spend some time getting back up to speed. And that's a bit of a waste of time. So I would say little and often uh, would be my, it was the approach that I took and it seemed to work okay. Yep. The second tip is be decisive, um, which I've, I've mentioned previously uh, during this pod, but I think you've just got to decide and move on. Um when it comes to the pieces of individual advice, as long as you can justify them. Yeah. And the final one, which was really, really specific to me, was was listen um, and try not to come to it with any preconceptions. Uh, and because ultimately it, it, it isn't really like any other exam. You're given all the information, you're giving very exacting standards by the assessors and they put you, you know, they tell you in black and white what they want from you. So listening to that, and trying to ignore, you know, as much, you're trying to stick to that as much as possible and tick it off is, I think, a recipe for, for success. And ultimately, I think, you know, the fact that this was my, the first financial plan that I'd ever put together probably helped me in that regard. Yeah, yeah. David, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations again on gaining your CFP certification and welcome to the financial planning family. Thank you, Jackie, and thank you for all your help. The course was immensely, immensely helpful. 
I wouldn't have got anywhere close without it. So thank you. My pleasure. really interesting, isn't it, to listen to different people who have different experiences of gaining their certified financial planner certification or maybe developing the financial planning profession at large. If you know anybody who you think might be interested in listening to any of these podcasts, then please do pass on our details. That's it for me. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. See you again soon. Bye for now.